Amen. We need those chains broken, and he is the one to do that. We praise the Lord for that. As we come today to start part four of our five warnings of Hebrew, I want us to look at today in the hands of God. And this is a warning or a peril of disloyalty to Christ. If you would take your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. If you remember, we're making our way through as the writer was writing to these Jews that had converted over to Christianity and probably a small home church he was writing to them and he was giving them some warnings along with other things through Hebrews and I wanted us to take some time to look at these warnings as I, I believe they are relevant today for us to look at and to take heed but what I love how he does is he will come with the warning but he'll always finish it up with the love of God because you know when we make mistakes We have a loving God who is there when we repent and confess. He is there to hold us close. But as scripture will say in a moment of being in the hands of the living God. And as the world that he created everyone is in the hands of the living God. Some in the hands of the loving, living God, and some in the hands of an angry God. And I want us to look today so that we know where we are at and where we want to be. If you would please stand as we read God's word, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near." For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. 
It is terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partially by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulation and partially by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Father God, I thank you so much for your love and your gratefulness. And Father, I just pray that you would fill us right now with your spirit to be able to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning your message. And Father, you would continue working on me as well as those listening. Father God, I thank you for your great love. Father, and I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Remember, we have to look at this coming from the context that the writer was writing to Christians. As the early church was flourishing, there was persecution to those Christians, and he's writing to Christians with this. And the first thing that we began to see is the great invitation. He gave them a great invitation. We see there at verse 22, 23, and 24 all start with let us. He says, let us draw near with a sincere heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He has just finished prior to this, picking up from where we left off last week through the part of Hebrews up until here, has been talking to them about the high priest. You remember in their day, the high priest was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies. He could go in only once a year. And behind that veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was that veil. And on the other side was the uh, Ark of the Covenant. It had the angel, the mercy seat where God would sit and that God would meet And this high priest, on the one day that he would go in, he would have to, first of all, confess his sins. He would have to go through a washing of his body, and he would put on these clothes, and these clothes had bells on the bottom of them, and he had a a rope around him because if he was to go in and he wasn't right before the Lord, he would die right there, and no one else was allowed to go in. They would have to drag him out. This holy of holies was a sacred place. I remember several years ago, Nicole and I had the privilege of going over to Paris, Texas, and they had a group that was traveling around, and they recreated what the 
setup would look like as the group was journeying through uh, the wilderness and you had the outer tent because this was all movable in their day because in the Jews coming out of Egypt, they would have to be able to move it all. And you walked in and we got to, to see the outer walls. We got to see where they would do the burnt sacrifice, where the labor was that they would clean. And you're taking pictures and you, you move around and you come up to the inner court and you, you go in where the show bread and everything, you were taking pictures and Then there was this veil that was there. And you went behind this veil and they had recreated uh, what it would look at to scale of the Ark of the Covenant there. And you know, all of a sudden, something changed. I didn't feel that I could just take out my phone and take a picture. Even a replica, you could sense what it represented And for them, this was something very sacred. And many were trying to go back to that. But what the writer of Hebrews is getting them to understand is that we as Christians have a competence to go into this holy of holies. And do you know every time we say a prayer... We're entering into the holy of holies before the throne of God. And it said at verse 19 that we have confidence of this because of the blood of Jesus. And he inaugurated it through the veil of his flesh. The veil was torn when Jesus died on the cross. God says all who come through the blood have access to me. But he's also saying that each and every one of us as believers has a responsibility. We each become the high priest of our life. We are the ones that must go before God and confess our sins and repent for us. So he says there, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith because we've been sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. I hope you never forget, church, the privilege of drawing near through faith into the throne room of God and that you don't take it lightly. But he also says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We have a hope through our faith in Jesus Christ that we need to draw to to get us through the dark and difficult days, to get us through the persecution. Today that we're living in, I was just speaking with Terry earlier. We're living in some dark times. I think they're going to get a lot darker. We're living through some difficult times. And I believe people all around, religious, non-religious, believers and non-believers, can feel the oppression of the darkness. And I believe it affects both believers and non-believers. How do I know everyone can feel it? Look around. There's many that's not here. The darkness and the weight becomes heavy. And he's saying here, let us hold fast 
our hope that he's faithful. God is faithful. He's going to see us through. And when the time comes, he's going to come and take us by the hem. He's going to shout. The trumpet's going to blast. And we're going to go meet him. And we've got to hold to that. And understanding that what we go through here, what we're going to experience is far greater. And it'll be worth what we go through. Thirdly, under this great invitation, we see to let us keep on caring. It says in verse 24 to let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, we need someone to come along and kind of spur us on just a little bit. Have you ever been down just a little bit and you get that phone call? Hey, I was just calling to check on you. Have you ever missed a Sunday? You get that phone call, hey, we missed you. You know, the enemy is attacking. He will give every excuse in the book. And we can listen to those excuses. But do you know as believers, we have a responsibility to care for other believers. We have a responsibility to encourage others. We need to stimulate each other. You know, even for me, there's times I get down. And we need to come along and help each other because doing good is against what the world says. Satan says, don't do it. God says, live the good life. It tells us there that we need to keep on caring, helping each other to love one another and to do good deeds. But then he says right there, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. They were going from this church of Christ, the church starting up at that time of Christians, and many of them were no longer meeting with that group. They wanted to separate themselves because there was persecution. Things were difficult. But he says that you need to not forsake the same. Why? What does it matter? Can I worship God fishing from the boat? Yeah. Can you worship God sitting in the deer stand? Yes. Can you worship God at the ball field? Yes. You can worship God anywhere you are. But let me ask you, when you're in the boat, in the deer stand, at the ball field, wherever you are, what is your main focus and reason for being there? But why does it say don't forsake the assembling together? Because it takes us together to encourage one another. It takes us together to come and to help each other. You know, if I didn't think any of you were showing up, I might not show up either. But it takes us coming, a community of faith, the fellowship. What do I think hurt the church the most during the COVID time that we were separated? Wasn't the sickness, but it was the lack of fellowship with each other that hurt the church of Jesus Christ. Because we have to come together so that we can support one another. How many have you heard, and I've heard from many of you in here, that when you had a death in your family, the church surrounded you. And after the fact, I've heard the words, I don't know how I would have gotten through it, or... I don't know how those who don't have a church home get through it. That's why God said, he doesn't just say that because he wants to take a day away from you. No, this should be the highlight. Talk about plug in and get re-energized. 
It's Wednesdays, the middle of the week. You start to kind of get run down. We come and we plug in and we get back together. But you know, he doesn't stop there with just say forsaking the assembling and all of these let us. But he said, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, what day? Monday, Sunday? No, the day of Christ's return. There is a day that God has set, and that day will happen. And the closer we get to it, the more we need to be doing those. If you notice, the closer we're getting to it, and the darker the day are, look at the churches that are being attacked. Look at the churches just in our area, not necessarily through attack, but churches that don't have pastors right now. In our area right here, we have number of churches who don't have a pastor. They don't have that shepherd to care for them and to lead them. And you know Satan likes that. But we've got to, the closer we get, we've got to remember the invitation to let us draw near to him, to hold our confession and keep on caring because... Point number two, the great reality. I want us to look at the reality of when these things do not happen. It says there in verses 26 through 27 that we will continually to willfully sin that there is something there. You know, verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully that your Bible might have deliberately This is a conscious expression, as one commentator put it, of an attitude that displays contempt for God. Now, let me stop before we go any further. Every one of us, as long as our heart is still going boom, 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 and we're still breathing, are going to continue to sin. Our flesh is sinful. Christ came to set us free. What he's talking about here is willfully sinning, doing it deliberately, knowing the Bible says it's wrong, and you do it anyway. And you continue on, and you continue on doing that, and before long you begin to say that it is good and that there is nothing wrong with it. He says, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What is he talking about? Do we lose our salvation? No, we're going to keep going there. We don't lose it. But what happens is when we continue to sin and we sin and we no longer consider it sin and we choose to do it anyway, our heart begins to grow hard. And church, that's a very dangerous place to be. When you quench Holy Spirit enough that you no longer hear his conviction, it becomes very hard for you to repent of whatever is going on in your life. A lifestyle begins to change, and before long you begin to drift away from following after God. But it tells us, verse 27, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. 
tells us in verses 28 and 29 about the law, the law that God gave to Moses. They had a law. And before Christ, the law is what you kept. And if you disobeyed that law on the testimony of two or three witnesses, you could be punished. For many acts, you could be killed by disobeying the law. But what the author is trying to say here is if through two or three witnesses in disobeying the law that was given to Moses, for those who have seen and understand salvation and you have become a Christian and you choose to not follow after God anymore, You choose to basically spit in his face or as it says to trample underfoot the son of God and is regarded unclean the blood of that covenant. You're messing with God's son and vengeance is mine says the Lord. I don't believe anyone ever loses their salvation but let me tell you what I do believe is as a believer of Jesus Christ, if you get to the point that your heart has become so hard that you will no longer respond to God, and he knows that, he will remove you. Because you're not only affecting yourself, but you're affecting others because people watch you. As a Christian, and how you live your life is a testimony because each and every one of us are ambassadors of Christ. And we can see here that those he's talking to here says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's a terrifying thing for those who don't believe God to fall into the hands of an angry God. But can you imagine a believer who has received the gift of the death of his son and yet decides that he's going to just spit in his face? I'm just here to tell you today, I don't want to be in the hands of the living God unless I'm right. I don't want any of you, but he doesn't stop there. See, he gives them the warning that you can choose to no longer listen and willfully sin, and here's what happens. But then he says, number three, the great remembering. He wants them to take just a moment where they are and to look back. Verse 32, it says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, after they became a Christian, that you endured a great conflict of suffering, partially by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulation, and partially by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Know that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Look back. He says, you remember when you first become a Christian? I want you to look back in your life when you first become a Christian. Boy, you're ready. You're going to take your little bitty water pistol and you were going to go fight hell with it. 
It didn't matter what you went through. But as we grow through life and we go and the oppression begins to weigh, sometimes we want to drift a little bit. But he says, remember that you went through a great time of persecution and you got through it. He says, you went through a time of public spectacle. People would talk about them as they converted from Judaism to Christianity. Their family would talk about them. They would be ostracized. It says they would even seize their property. I tell you, that's some persecution. We think we have persecution today. We ain't there yet, church. But he said, that they showed that sympathy. He said, therefore, do not, verse 35, throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What is the confidence? Back where we started, verse 19, it says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, that's our confidence. He said, there's a great reward. And we all want the great reward. We're all headed there. We want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But we see here the great promise. The great promise. Look at verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay But my righteous ones shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to persevere or the persevering of the soul. The endurance and the faith of persevering. I want you to notice some things maybe sounded familiar that the writer is finishing up exactly where he began. Look at verse 38 and 39. It says, but my righteous one shall live by faith and that we are not those who shrink back but have faith. We began in verse 22 to let us draw near with the sincere heart and assurance of faith. Faith is the key. Faith is what holds us secure in the persecution But who made the promise, verse, that we see, verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Verse 23 says, for he who promised is faithful and he is God. So God's promise will come through. Verse 36, we see doing the will of God. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, Verse 24 said, let us consider how to stimulate others to love and good deeds, the will of God. And 37, he who is coming will come and will not delay. In verse 25, after all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a stern warning here that we've got to be loyal to Christ. And it says that it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God has control of everyone. We need to draw near 
to God with a, a sincere heart in faith. We need to hold to our confession of calling out to him to get through these days. And we need to keep on caring for one another because the day is drawing near. And just as death calls for the one who dies, the day that Christ returns, all decision to choose or to reject him will be over. When you die, do I believe someone can have a confession of Christ on their deathbed the half a second before they die and still go to heaven? Yes, I do. But I also know that none of us in here know when that point is. So for those who say they want to wait They don't know when it is at any split second. And then the decision to choose or reject is over. You've already made your decision. And as the day draws near, the reason we've got to come alongside each other is because as the day draws near, it's going to draw darker and it's going to draw darker. It's going to become more difficult You know, we might even in our lifetime see a day where they say by law that we can't come and meet here. It was happening in their day. They lost their property because of their faith. I'm sure they lost jobs. They lost families. Are you going to choose the world? Are you going to show your loyalty to the world to stay out of the persecution and be disloyal to Christ? Or are you going to be loyal to Christ, disloyal to the world, and suffer the persecution? Because it happens each and every day. We might not be in the depths of persecution as much as they were in their day, but each of us face the battle. Church, the war's on and it's strong right now. Things, I think I put this in the newsletter. Things that used to not be talked about, what we call them, taboo, are now just out in the open. And even more than that, those things are now said to be good. Those things are said to be normal. And if you say anything against it, you're a racist, you're a hater, and you're hate crime, and you're breaking the law. So yes, I'll tell you in the flesh, it's very easy to be disloyal to our Savior because of the persecution that lies out there. But we must draw near. We must hold on with confidence in our faith. And we must stimulate one another. And we must not forsake the assembling together. Not because preacher wants to see the place full. I'd love to see the place full of people worshiping God because their hearts are so there and we can lean on each other. But it's not about the number. It's about 
being together because without the community of believers, the faith grows weak. And when the faith grows weak, it's easy to step aside and to live into that life. It's not something easy to talk about. Judgment. But he uses that word right here. He talks about the punishment of breaking the law of Moses. How much more those who step on the sun. But he leaves it that we are not those people. He says we are the ones that have faith. The persevering of the soul. So my question for you this morning, because all of us are in the hands of God, where are you? Are you in the loving hands of God? Or are you a half a step away from being in the angry hands of God? But you know that's not necessarily a bad place to be. We want to, world wants to talk about those. You know, the church likes to talk about those that are just a half a step away. But do you know when we stop and we look at the reality that sin is real and every one of us in here sin? then how dare us be the one to throw a stone? The scary thing is to be a half a step away and refuse to acknowledge it out of pride than to be a half a step away from a loving God just grabbing you through repentance and say, I love you. He loves us all. And as believers, we're his. But where are we? Because the day is drawing near, so I want to encourage you that you draw near with a sincere heart and hold fast to your confession and keep on caring. Yes, we have a responsibility for others that are here. Now you bow your heads.